One. Good morning, everybody. My name is Julian Hoers, Interim Managing Director of Vocal Europe, a policy think tank looking at the EU and its foreign affairs. And I am here to explain to you what's going on in the world of politics, help you guys to understand what's going on, and to just give you guys the information that you're asking for. Now, a few days ago, I posted something about what's happening in France relating to coronavirus and how the government is dealing with us in its deconfinement phase. And in comparison to the UK, a lot of people were very surprised to find out that the government was doing so much to facilitate the purchasing of masks and the provision of masks to individuals across France, not just French citizens, but everybody. And as a response to this, people were asking me, what are the other differences between France and the UK? What exactly is going on? And I thought I'd put together a small comparison video to give you guys a good idea of what's going on. If you go onto my website, julianhoes.eu, you can find a timeline that I've put up there that explains the differences between what's happened in France and the UK across time since 2018 even. And if you guys are interested, always please like and subscribe the, uh, like these videos, subscribe to my channel so that you guys can get the information firsthand, and follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook. I'm posting a lot of things there, I'm breaking down questions that people ask me, I'm sharing the news and I'm giving my opinion, as most French people do. Now, this isn't going to be completely robust. The timeline that I've got up on my website is a preliminary one, so if you have more information that you think I'm missing, send it my way and I'll add it to the timeline. And what I'm going to discuss today is very much a it's a, a short version of what's happened. I'm going to start with France, then move on to the UK, and then finish off with a few thoughts saying, you know, France did this better, UK did this better, la-di-da. But anyway, let's get started. So, France started in 2018 with the knowledge that its strategic reserves of masks in terms of pandemic, which is part of a long-term pandemic plan in France, were lacking and deficient in the required material they needed. And in fact, France has been dealing with a different strain of the coronavirus compared to other countries, where France is dealing with a very specific French strain of COVID-19 that doesn't exist anywhere else, to my knowledge. The... It, actually successfully isolated and prevented the spread of the Wuhan strain of the COVID-19 virus, which has ravaged China and Italy, and I believe this is the one that's taken uh, the UK. And it was fighting this virus very, very early on, where France had a, its initial cases were starting in January, early January even. However, these were all in uh, the Nord-Pas-de-Calais area and near Lille in some cases. And the majority of the people infected were asymptomatic. They weren't suffering the explicit illnesses that were currently attributing to COVID-19. And overall, the French response has been fairly strong. The, if you look at the maps of what's happening in France, where the infections are right now, as part of the deconfinement plan, which you're going to see right now, the... Virus has mostly been contained to the north and the east of the country, with the border being the curve around Paris that's hap that you can see on the chart here. And a lot of this was down to a number of measures that the French government took. So it took the lockdown measures very early on, so around the 17th. So this was a number of days after the third death, which is, for whatever reason, used as the measuring stick for COVID-19 responses. And... It did a number of things such as using TGV, so the high-speed trains in France, to and repurposing these as mobile hospitals and medical transports to get infected citizens out of the east and the north of the country 
and take them into the south and the west where things were a little less dangerous, there were a lot less cases and things were a little easier to manage in those regions. Now, these, case, these measures clearly helped. I mean, the lockdown early on prevented additional spread, even though there were issues at first with the way in which the people were flouting the lockdown rules and even uh, French First Lady uh, Brigitte Macron was taking some walks at first as well. But despite the criticisms that it did worse than, the, uh, than Germany and had French hospitals dealt with these worse than German hospitals, the reality is actually very different in that the... So for comparison's sake, the German cases started later and they locked down at the same time as France. Now, there's a number of reasons why the level of infections between France and Germany would be different. So for example, France being the number one world tourist destination means that more people are traveling to France at all times, whereas a country like Germany is only ranked 8th and the UK is ranked 10th, with both of these countries being ranked even lower when the winter comes around and people are looking for sunnier destinations and looking for nicer places to visit. In France, there isn't that issue because even during the winter, there are some spots in France that have very nice weather towards the 18, 20 degrees and with some sunshine. So, taking those things into account, France performed comparatively well to Germany with France only suffering a death toll of 24% for those who were hospitalized. And this is comparable to German numbers. Now, the, this was partially affected by the way in which the French government committed a, an extraordinary redeployment of equipment and staff. It doubled its number of resuscitation beds in less than a week. And aside from the east of the country, the reanimation capacities were not saturated. They weren't affected heavily. There were regions in uh, the West and the South that had comparatively low cases, even if fears were that they would grow exponentially. But this was dealt with quite well. There are a number of studies that analyze the mortality rates of coronavirus across the world, with two key ones being done in Finland and Gangelt in Germany. And these showed that with a robust and in some cases northern European healthcare service, the infection, the death rate of infections would be 0.4%. Now, this means that if we actually look at the numbers, and I've checked calculations online, the if we look at in France the number of deaths from a few days ago was 26,300. While this is not necessarily the full amount or the actual amount, and we'll find this out later on after the virus has been dealt with or put under control and we can perform robust studies, if we take this as 0.4% of total infections, the actual number of infections in the French states would be 6 million. Another 139,000 deaths has been recorded currently. This shows that if we actually look at the death rates across France, that it's actually a comparatively low amount. And in comparison, this is a very good sign. I mean, if we really did have 6 million infections in France that were either unseen, undocumented or unlocated, then we can see that the French state did a relatively good job keeping deaths as low as it did. But of course, this is going to be analyzed further after this, and I'm looking forward to reading institutional analysis of this. 
Um, of course, in France, there was a lot of controversy regarding the masks, so there was a bit of confused communication between the state and the public. The French government and the local mairies and communes and regions are providing significant amount of free masks. For example, on the Ile-de-France, the region around Paris, there are a number of masks being handed out at all times. There's there's hydroalcoholic gel, so hand sanitizer being given out across the metro stations and train stations in places like Paris and in, even in other places like Lyon. And there are some good initiatives being put in place. However, there was confusion regarding the way in which the French state would provide these, such as the way in which the French government said they would provide as many masks as they possibly could, while also enabling them to be sold in supermarkets. But the fact that millions of masks have been provided to supermarkets to be sold to the French population has led to complaints within the medical services and public sector who are asking why is this being done when we've been suffering shortages for weeks and how exactly does this how exactly is this acceptable with the way in which we've been asking for additional equipment for weeks and even months now and we've still been subjected to rationing and why is this being sold instead of being given to us these are valid questions of course the government needs to balance the number of masks on one hand that are being given to the public and given to the public services. There's many valid complaints regarding this. We can only say that the government probably did what it thought was necessary in order to make sure that they reduced infections in the public as well as in the health sector. But we can only wait and see how this is analysed later on down the line and see whether or not this was considered to be a successful move or if this led to further infections in the public sector. Now there's been a number of criticism of the French government's communication strategy, however in my view the government has been effective in communicating what's happening, what's been going on and where things have gone wrong. I mean uh, many people don't know this but Emmanuel Macron was very clear in saying that uh, the French government had failed in some aspects and even apologised on national television. This is something that you're not going to see publicized very frequently because it then leads to some kind of impetus that more national leaders must apologize for their reactions, but it happened and in France it was relatively well received. There have been some areas where the comms have been incredibly strong, such as the daily briefings, the provision of the deconfinement plan for France overall, which Edouard Philippe, the Prime Minister, was very clear and very concise in talking about, as well as Olivier Véran, the Minister for Health and Solidarity in France. The information given to the public has been robust and has been very, very, very clear. We're not talking about the weird plans that the British government have put out where they're using obtuse formulas that don't actually make sense and timelines that don't have any times on them. We're seeing a robust plan that's showing Point by point, we're, we're doing this here, we're doing that there. Within these regions, you're allowed to do this. Within these regions, you're allowed to do X. In others, you're allowed to do Y. The French government has been very clear in doing in explaining what's going on. However, there have been some problems of comms. With the administration spokeswoman, Sibet uh, Ndiaye, who caused a number of gaffes and caused a number of headaches for the administration. So she's been perceived at times as insulting teachers. She's been called saying that Macron would not wear a mask right before he turned up wearing a mask in one of his visits to Mulhouse, I believe it was. And she's even shared jokes about pornography habits during the lockdown. 
all of these may seem minor, but they do impact the way that the government is perceived and the way its comm strategy is perceived. Admittedly, these are not as bad as the British comm gaffes, which I'm going to go into a little later on, and which you can see in this timeline that I've got on my website. But they do have an impact. There also have been criticisms about her recollections of events, where she's misremembered the dates of confinement, of the uh, comments made by uh, World Health Organization leaders of the strategies that were put in place, and these again impact the way that these are affected. But of course, these are relative. You're going to have some people who are going to push further on this and say, this is a problem, this shouldn't have been done, or this is acceptable because of the stress of the situation. Regardless, in my view, these were relatively low-key gaps compared to what we're going to discuss soon with the British reaction and the way the British strategy for communications happened, but these do have an impact. However, you've also had situations such as Emmanuel Macron traveling into schools to talk to students of those who were, well, children of those who were key health workers and who were working on the front lines to talk to them about what's going on and to, in some ways, discuss the deconfinement plans, see how these students are feeling, talk to them about the measures in place to prevent coronavirus spread and to just make sure that there is communication happening with these people with different levels of government. I mean, for example, you had Emmanuel Macron being one of the few world leaders who went into one of the hotspots of the COVID-19 um, outbreaks. So he went to Mulhouse very early on to talk to people there and make sure that he had an accurate reading of what was going on on the ground rather than just relying on press uh, briefings and briefings from aides. And he even traveled down to Marseille uh, back in April to meet the now famous social media star Didier Raoult, who is a, a scientist who pushed for the use of hydrochlorine to hydrochloroquine, sorry, to treat viruses. And this was done particularly after the way in which a number of people started to self-medicate on his advice and that he was offering treatments to people. And a number of people actually died due to this. So you can see that Emmanuel Macron is very active in going out on the ground. There have been criticisms of this, such as Rim Montaz from Politico discussing how people viewed this as maybe not being necessary and questioning why Macron was flouting lockdown rules when and traveling across the country whereas other people were locked within their houses. Again, valid criticisms, but in my view, the head of a country has to be on the front lines and has to be meeting with people and seeing what's going on on the ground to properly develop policy. Now, Initially hesitant, the French government is now touting face masks as essential and these are being distributed across the country, primarily led by mayors and regions across France, where we now have council workers in towns such as Le Lilas, which is in the north of Paris, explaining, going to all the houses, giving out free masks, giving out pamphlets, and even explaining how the masks work and how to properly use. Many households are receiving one mask per member, which means that there is a, an adequate coverage of what's going on and the people are getting the equipment they need and these are reusable masks in many cases. So these are masks that people can wash in their washing machines and reuse over and over again. However, there's no legal obligation to wear masks in France, which is meaning that people aren't necessarily wearing masks. There are some pictures of the RER or the metro in Paris where people are just running onto the metro without wearing masks. However, 
The majority of French citizens are opting to do so. They are heavily recommended by the government and the scientific services. The health organizations are recommending them as well. And everyone from young school children to those wearing those in offices are wearing them. In in fact, in schools below second for secondary schools and I believe primary schools, the government is making these mandatory. So you have to wear masks if you're sending if you're working in a primary or secondary school, and if you're going to secondary school in France or primary school, you are meant to wear a mask at all times. And there's mandatory spreading of children, so there's clear space between them. This is going to have an impact on the way children are going to behave in the future, of course, because this is a grave emergency. And there are going to be certain traumas that are going to be suffered by these children. But in the name of public health and in the name of their own safety, this has to be done. There have also been criticisms that France has suffered due to an ultra-liberal destruction of the French state and health system. However, these aren't necessarily found well-founded because the state still spends over 8% of its GDP on public health, which is more than the majority of EU countries and places it, I think, in 5th or 6th place behind, just behind countries such as Germany. And there have even been rounds where the French government has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with medical agencies and pharmaceutical companies which is unheard of in a time of crisis where many are towing the line to ensure they don't step on too many toes, where Sanofi, the French drug giant, actually came out and said that it would prioritize the Americans for the vaccine, with Prime Minister Edouard Philippe forcing them to row back and make sure that they clarified that they would not be receiving any support if they actually did so, and hinting without any hesitation that the any vaccine would have to treat everybody and that France would have to be kept in the loop in this type of vaccine distribution. Emmanuel Macron even came out and demanded a public in public a meeting. Emmanuel Macron even came out and in public demanded a meeting with the Sanofi president because of the fact that this was a this was inconscionable. This was you had a drug giant saying they were gonna sell things to just one country based on financial input. And Emmanuel Macron, even after they wrote back, was unequivocal in saying that this had to be a global public good, that everybody had to have access to this equally, and that this had to absolutely be given to the public across the world with no hesitation, no favoritism. Okay, so that's the French side of things. And again, this is going to probably going to be a longer video than I've put on most of these, so I'm gonna put timestamps below. However, now we're going to talk about the UK and boy, do we have a lot to say about the UK? Now, if you look at this timeline that I've got on my website, you can see that the UK was very slow to react. It was saying a lot of weird things when that contradicted scientific advice, and it was getting in the way of its own reactions. So, to start with, despite having later infections and having a forewarning from what was happening in Italy, in China, and even in some cases France, the UK was slow to react and Boris Johnson meets missed multiple COBRA meetings. COBRA is the cabinet office briefing rooms, which is where public policy is decided. And a lot of these meetings were regarding COVID-19 and advanced preparation for an outbreak, but Johnson was completely unseen. He was frequently going on holiday to his country manor. He was avoiding meetings. He was in public saying that things were absolutely fine, that nothing was wrong, that the UK was all prepared. And once he started getting into these meetings, in many cases, he was refusing to join EU schemes to procure uh, personal protective equipment and ventilators that would have been used to protect NHS staff 
and British citizens. A lot of excuses were given for this that were very strange, that emails were missed, that, he, that the UK did not see the value in taking part, that the UK didn't need to take part, that the UK was better prepared than a lot of these countries, and that in many cases it just didn't make sense. It wasn't representative of what was going on on the ground, what experts were saying, what people in the NHS were saying, and what the WHO was saying was necessary to deal with this. There were a number of issues as well where you had Boris Johnson going around shaking coronavirus patients' hands while the scientists were saying avoid all contact at all cost. And in many cases, he paid the price. He was one of the few world leaders to go down with the COVID-19. You had, in untold levels, you had the senior structure of a government like the UK falling victim to the coronavirus pandemic. This happened nowhere else in the world, to my knowledge. I mean, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, was sick. Matt, Han Matt Hancock, the Health Minister, fell sick. The Chief Government Scientific Advisor fell sick. Dominic Cummings, the Chief Advisor to Downing Street, fell sick. And nowhere else in the world did this happen. You didn't see this happening in France. You didn't see this happening in Germany. We didn't even see this happening in Spain and Italy. This just didn't happen. Only the UK had a situation where its government was falling ill to the coronavirus due to its very bizarre strategies. You had things like the UK refusing to shut down events such as Cheltenham because they were not necessary. You had very low testing of NHS staff. I think it was 0.17% on the 1st of April, which is only a month and a half ago, well into the coronavirus crisis. You had antibody tests that were bought by the government, 17.5 million from the Chinese state, that did not work. You had the procurement of equipment was practically non-existent. And when it came to comms, it was an absolute disaster. You had, there were unclear instructions, there was confusion between the Prime Minister, his ministers and the official government website. You had conflicting information being constantly given out to the public such as what I just mentioned of the shaking of hands and public distancing. You had strategies like the herd immunity strategy was given out to the public and saying, don't worry, it's business as usual, as Boris Johnson said. And this was directly contradicted by scientific advice and academic studies in the UK that said that half a million British people would have died. 500,000 people could have died if the strategy had gone forward. Luckily for the UK, Emmanuel Macron was unequivocal in threatening to close all borders if the UK didn't change the strategy, due to not only the risk that this would pose for France, but the wider world and the EU. How could any state allow any open transport of goods between the UK and France if this would lead to an increase in infections in France, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in the European Union overall? There was enough problems happening as it was. They didn't need any additional issues. And thankfully, this threat worked and this ultimatum push Boris Johnson to change strategies and pretty much save lives, which is bizarre to me because I don't know of another country where a foreign head of state forced a country to change strategy. And I mean, in countries like Sweden, this just didn't happen. Johnson taking holidays during a crisis was shocking. I don't think I can say it in any other way. It, it shocked me and I I lived through Brexit. I mean, this I should have a high tolerance for this now. And it was shocking that Boris Johnson went to his country manor 
while NHS staff were combating a disease that was going out of control with little to no PPE and in some cases using bin bags to protect themselves. And Boris Johnson was simultaneously claiming that they were very well prepared and he was refusing, and I want to underline this, he was refusing to read briefs that were too long. They had to be, I think, one side of A4 maximum. This had to... This is this makes no sense. Compared to Emmanuel Macron, who's reading policy briefs day in, day out, and who was in the middle of these scientific councils and talking to people left, right, and centre, and constantly working on this, the British government was effectively going on holiday. It's... To me, this is shocking. This... No government can really say that it's truthfully protecting its citizens or it's protecting its country or even its own interests if it's going to then go on holiday and basically ignore anything longer than one A4 piece of paper. How exactly do you fit scientific advice on COVID-19 while things are spiraling out of control into one A4 piece of paper? This little script that I've got going here with all of my notes and everything is seven pages alone. This... And this is the basic information of what's going on in two countries. How exactly do you compare global responses and try to devise a, a UK strategy with one single page? It doesn't make sense. It's, it's not government practice. It's not good practice, at, at least. And it's dangerous. Now, there's also, with the deconfinements, and here I'm going to compare between the French and the UK responses, there was a... it was just confusing. No, no, I'm a policy expert. I can understand. I can explain the European institutions to you. I can explain the Treaty of Rome, the Lisbon Treaty, Maastricht. I can explain to you how the EU works and how the Spitzenkandidat process functions, which the majority of people struggle to understand. I could not understand the British deconfinement strategy. It didn't make sense. There was no, and I mean, no concrete detail. There were no dates. There were the the formula put forward makes zero sense. I mean, it was based on something like between one and zero, and that would set an alert level for the UK. However, how exactly do you get to a number between one and five? So the formula is total number of infections times 0 0.6, or zero, whatever the figure of R under one was. But that doesn't quite make sense because if you have 200,000 infected citizens in the UK, you times that by 0 0.6, you have 200,000.6. It's not a... How do you get that down to 1 to 5? You can't put that into a strategy. It doesn't function. It doesn't work. It's not scientific. It's, it seems more like it was a policy trick to get people thinking, oh, we're going to be safe eventually. And okay, I admit... I've said in my last episode that the UK strategy is not one of deconfinement, but the beginning of deconfinement. However, we need to ask serious questions about what exactly is going on in the government. There's reports that Dominic Cummings is changing his strategy based on his readings, and only recently devised a new strategy based on his reading of the Spanish flu 100 years ago. Why wasn't this being done two months ago? Why was the government not combining historical data with current practices and trying to devolve a better strategy? Why weren't government officials trying to deal with this in a better manner than trying to go for herd immunity? I mean, it's been two months. I mean, it's been longer than two months, actually. It's been three months since people figured out what was going on. 
why did the UK government not do more? Why did the UK government not devise a better strategy? I mean, as a as a policy analyst, I'm just I'm, I'm, I am, and I have been critical of some criticism of the government, saying that the government needed more time. We could better analyze what they've done afterwards. But in the process of actually building this video and looking and doing the research, I'm yeah. I mean, I felt like I was writing an obituary. This 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 wasn't normal. This this was not how a government should have dealt with a crisis. This is not how Italy dealt with it. This is not how Spain dealt with it. This is not how France dealt with it. I think the US had a better, more robust plan than the UK. And we see this in the fact that the UK is the is the second highest death rate. I mean, the we now have statistical agencies contradicting official government feedback where the figures are actually between 10 and 20,000 higher. The UK, despite being a fraction of the size and a fraction of the population of the US, and admittedly far less dispersed, but the UK has had over half of the number of deaths that the UK, that the US had. And the, the US government has some, no, the UK government, sorry, has some serious questions to answer. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, admittedly, yes, every country was hit quite hard by this. And we were, we were all caught unawares, we were all unprepared. And different national cultures led to different results. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, this, this, this shouldn't have happened. And I mean, okay, this may be slightly unprofessional of me to be so highly critical, but I mean, man, I genuinely hope that compared to recent responses to government policy recently, that the UK government is held to account in some way, because this was, or that at least some kind of analysis of what's going on or what happened or what went wrong is undertaken, because this is shocking. And then on top of this, you now have stories about how the Treasury now is looking at freezing public sector pay, which involves NHS workers, and is wanting to also raise taxes, which is in itself understandable. But to freeze this, the, to possibly consider the freezing of NHS staff pay after a decade of austerity, after what they've been through, after, while raising taxes at the same time, for me, is just unforgivable. But as the common phrase goes, you know, every country gets the government it deserves. The UK voted for its government. France voted for its government. I mean, let's, let's be entirely clear. Every country failed in some aspects. Some countries, such as France, as you'll see from the a timeline I've got on my website did better than others. The UK in particular did quite badly. And it's it's quite shocking. I mean, even... Yeah, this is just... It's, it's bad. I mean, I... Yeah. Well, guys, before I set myself into some downward spiral of depression, I'm going to cut this video here. And 
I'm just gonna say thank you if you've listened this long. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, stick them below. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Anchor or Podchase or any other podcast website, guys, please subscribe to this podcast. You can find me on Facebook, Julian Hoes. You can find me on Twitter. You can Google my name and you'll find all of my social media platforms. Get in touch. Guys, I'm here to help you guys understand what's going on. I want to help you guys better understand what's happening in the world of politics answer your questions and give you guys the explanations that you want. If you have any points that you think I've missed out and you want me to discuss in another episode, please put this to the side and, well, don't put it to the side, send it to me. Clearly I've been talking for too long and I'm losing concentration. But guys, thank you again for tuning in. You can find my other videos and my other playlists. You can... If you can, please share this video with all of your friends and family. I want to see more questions. I want to see more topics that people want covered. I want to get more feedback. And of course, like this video, subscribe to this channel. And I will see you guys on Monday.